Exodus chapter 24, uh, verse 24. <clears throat> We're going to read uh, a couple of verses here. It's really all the information we have uh, for the most part about this instance, and it does jump out, at least to me, as a bit of an odd story considering what's going on at the moment. So Exodus chapter 24, chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 24. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. It says, And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. All right, and so that those uh, three verses right there, again, is is the what our lesson is going to be looking at and kind of focused on and, and uh, maybe trying to figure out some of what's going on. But this again, to me, jumps out uh, as a very odd story because of what's going on in the context. This is immediately after the burning bush incident. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is out there shepherding the flock, sees this bush burning, uh, but it doesn't burn up, so he goes over to investigate, and God talks with him there and gives him some instructions. Uh, the instructions are basically you're going to go deliver deliver the people out of Egypt, uh, out of bondage. Uh, and even despite all of his excuses of isn't there someone else or I can't talk good, you know, all those things that Moses was basically giving his excuses of why he wasn't the guy, the best guy for the job, uh, God ultimately tells him, no, this is what you're going to do and and you need to be going and doing this. He gives them these miraculous signs to prove the message to Israel and to the Egyptians. Uh, you know, it seems like in Exodus chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 18, says, Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But, I'm, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its myths, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her, how articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And so that's just kind of the conclusion of, of God's instructions there at the burning bush. And, and we see that Moses is God's hand-picked guy to go do this job, this important job of delivering uh, the nation of Israel from Egypt. And if you flip over in chapter 4, Moses is headed to do that. He's headed to Egypt. Uh, when this incident happens in verse 24. He's at an encampment on his way going to Egypt to do what God says, and all of a sudden, the Lord, it says, is seeking to kill him. Uh, and so that jumps out to me as something odd and kind of makes you wonder, what's going on? This was God's hand-picked guy. Why is he all of a sudden wanting to kill him? Um, again, 
We don't have a lot of explanation about this event or a whole lot of extra details. Um, when that's the case, I try to be a little careful in handling that uh, situation and on drawing too many, um, you know, conclusions from it. But I do want us just to consider what do we see are the facts here. We see that God is seeking to kill Moses. We see Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, when she figures out that God's trying to kill Moses, she grabs a stone and circumcises their son, uh, and God lets him go after that. You know, God doesn't want to kill him anymore. It says, and he let him go. And so, you know, uh, when I consider those facts, it seems that uh, something... Are, are part of the reason or the reason uh, that God was seeking to kill Moses seemed to have something to do with this circumcision, uh, the fact that their their son was not circumcised. And Zipporah seemed to understand something about what was going on too because she immediately uh, goes and does this. Some other facts related to this story, you've got Moses and Zipporah, who is actually a Midianite. Uh, they had two sons together together. Uh, we can tell here that one of them was uncircumcised. We're not given the name of which son this is. Uh, Gershom was one of their sons. You can you can see that back in Exodus chapter 2. But again, we're not told specifically which son this was. Um, besides that, not a whole lot of facts spelled out. Uh, but just wanted to note that Zipporah did seem to know what was needed to be done uh, at this time that God was seeking to kill him. And after she circumcised him, uh, God let him go. And so take all that into consideration as we look through this. I thought it would be important if if we're looking at that and saying, okay, well, well his son should have been circumcised. You know, well, let's consider what, what was going on. What law would Moses have been under at this point? What were the rules, if you want to say that? Or what, what, what were God's expectations for Moses uh, pertaining to circumcision and, and those type things at this point. You know, the law of Moses, the old law, hadn't been delivered yet. That, that happens after uh, he brings them out of Egypt. We, we know the time frame of all that, so they're not under the old law, the law of Moses yet. But if you look in John chapter 7, Jesus gives us some information about circumcision. I, Oftentimes when you think circumcision, you think law of Moses, or at least I do. Uh, you know, that that was, that was where that came from. Uh, the circumcision was tied to the law of Moses, and that was, uh, that was why Israel did that. And circumcision is part of the law of Moses. But look at what Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 22 of John. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And so this is in the middle of a conversation Jesus is having of uh, some people accusing him of some things wrongfully. Uh, but notice what Jesus says. He says, Moses gave you circumcision, but not that it is from Moses, but from who? The fathers. Uh, and some other versions may read the patriarchs. And so Jesus is indicating that circumcision didn't come from Moses. It was before then. It was from the patriarchs. And that's, that's what we're going to look back and see in considering uh, what, were, what law or what were the rules that Moses was under at the time of this incident. Turn to, back to Genesis chapter 17. 
Genesis chapter 17. This is the first mention of circumcision uh, that I could find, and it's with Abraham. Uh, again, so we're thinking about what Jesus said about circumcision coming from the fathers. Uh, let's read uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Uh, we're going to read 14 verses, a little bit of a long reading. But it says, When Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations out of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so, again, thinking about and considering what what uh, law or, or where is Moses at the time of, of our uh, incident here in Exodus 4, what's going on, you look all the way back at what God says about circumcision, uh, there in chapter 17, and I think there's some important things for us to consider. It says circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham uh, that his descendants were to keep. And so this is something that was part of that original promise, uh, part of that original covenant God had made with Abraham. Circumcision was a part of that. It's something that they were supposed to keep and that his descendants were supposed to keep. Uh, and, you know, Moses would fall in under that. Look further down in chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 23, we see Abraham doing this. It says, So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And so we have Abraham carrying out that commandment from God, uh, that sign of the covenant, that, that part of that original covenant God had made with Abraham. 
and he does it with Ishmael. Uh, Isaac is not born at this point. And if you flip over a couple of chapters, we see Isaac being born. We're just going to kind of go through and trace uh, what we can find about circumcision here. Uh, Genesis chapter 21 and verse 4, it says, this is right when Isaac is born. It says, Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him to. Okay, so Abraham continuing to follow uh, that law or that rule, uh, that requirement of God uh, for all the males to be circumcised. Um, so you go from Abraham to Isaac. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob and Esau. Uh, we had, don't have a specific record that I could find. Somebody may have pointed out to me, but uh, I couldn't find where we have a record of Jacob and Esau being circumcised. But if you'll look in Genesis chapter 34, Genesis chapter 34, and again, think about what God had told Abraham about all these generations after him were supposed to keep this. Uh, look in Genesis chapter 34, starting in verse 15. This is the, the incident with uh, the sister Dinah, uh, where she had been defiled, uh, just to give you some context. Genesis 34, starting in verse 15, it says, But on this condition we will consent to you, if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will uh, become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. Okay, so again, think about the context here. These are the sons of Jacob uh, that are coming to uh, these men who have defiled their sister. And the deal they're making is if you'll become like us, circumcised, so we can draw from that that you know these sons of Jacob had been circumcised. Uh, and again, think about God's commandment to carry on that uh, that uh, circumcision as part of that covenant into all, all of the generations after Abraham. And so, you know, again, thinking about the fact that we don't have a record of Jacob and Esau being circumcised, but we see his children were, his sons were, you know, it, it would uh, seem to just fall in step that that uh, rule or law of circumcision had continued to be followed through the generations as God had uh, told them to. Uh, it seems like Isaac followed the statute taught to him by Abraham. You know, you would have to assume Jacob followed it from Isaac, uh, and then Jacob's sons got it from Jacob, and so they're continuing to do those things. From that point, Again, thinking about where is Moses, what, what rule is he under? Well, we don't have much else about circumcision after this incident of Dinah until Moses gets in the picture. Uh, we go through the stories of the life of Joseph. Israel ends up in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, they're captive there. And then comes Moses. God's fixing to deliver Egypt from Moses. Uh, it, Israelites from Egypt, uh, you know, by way of Moses. And so... You know, that's where Moses is going when this incident in, in Exodus chapter 4 happens. Um, you know, I would say 
that when you consider what we've looked at with Abraham, God's commandment to Abraham that this rule of circumcision was to be followed through all the generations, that that should have still been going on. We don't see anything that indicates otherwise this incident in Exodus 4 kind of, you know, lends itself to the fact that, hey, Moses' son should have been, should have been circumcised because God's wrath goes away after he has been. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the thought, uh, process that I went through in thinking about this in Exodus 4. It was an interesting point to me that we really don't even have a record of Moses ever being circumcised. You know, we've got the record of Moses being born. Uh, he was hid for three months and then he was put in the uh, put in the basket in the river and found by the Egyptian uh, princess but we don't ever have a record of him being circumcised but you know it, it wouldn't seem to fit a lot of other things that we know that Moses was relaying the commandments that God was giving Moses to relate to the Israelites about circumcision it, it, that would not seem to fit uh, at all that Moses would be able to command them to be circumcised but him himself not have been. Uh, Joshua chapter 5 and thinking along those lines of hey you know if somebody wants to say well we don't ever see when Moses was circumcised uh, one thing to consider just kind of some food for thought was in Joshua chapter 5 let me get there in verse 3, uh, this is just kind of a snapshot picture of something, but it says, So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of their, front, of their foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And so all the people who came out of Egypt had been <laughs> circumcised. It seemed like that was something uh, that they had already done. Um, and so that kind of lends itself, uh, at least in my mind, to thinking that, okay, they they had been circumcised. I, I can't imagine Moses not have been circumcised when, when all of those Israelites had. Um, again, in Exodus 12, this is right as they're coming out of Egypt, right before the 10th plague. Uh, the Passover is, is being given, they're given instructions about the Passover there. Exodus chapter 12, it talks about, again, uh, some of them... Uh, who should be circumcised. And again, I think the context of it lends itself to the fact that these people uh, already knew about circumcision. It says, in, starting in verse 43, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten, and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, all his males, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Uh, and so again, 
the, the context of this is this is uh, just before or you know, this is the first Passover when the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed. Um, they're given instructions for how to remember that and this idea of circumcision uh, is mentioned that the, the slaves of the house, any foreigner, if he's going to partake in this feast, he must be circumcised. And so, again, I believe you could, you could assume that God's people uh, would have been or, you know, would need to be circumcised in order to partake in that also. All right. So that's all the information about circumcision in relation to the story there in Exodus chapter 4. As far as some application for us uh, in thinking about that, we've basically just been looking at, at facts or uh, trying to look at facts and conclusions that may could be drawn surrounding that incident in, in chapter 4. But for us today, what, what can we get from this story? Um, you know, at face value, when I read this story, I see that God was about to punish Moses for something, about to kill him. Uh, it seems like it was something that he should have already done when you look at those verses and, and see that Zipporah knew she seemed to jump into action and circumcise that, and then God's wrath goes away. He doesn't kill Moses. And so when you look at those things tied together, you know, it seems like maybe that was something Moses should have already done with his son. Uh, and that... That makes me think today, uh, when I think about myself, what application could I get from that? Well, this idea of things that I should have done that I haven't done, or sins of omission, if you want to call them. Uh, you know, things that God tells us to do that we don't do. Uh, and that's a problem uh, that at least I've struggled with, and I think many times a lot of us struggle with those type things in our life. And so... You know, I don't know if that's necessarily God's lesson that he wants us to get from recording that in Exodus, but it, it doesn't have to be for us to consider that uh, and think about sins of omission. It's all throughout the New Testament that we have to work towards doing the things that God says. You know, Luke chapter 13 and verse 24, we've got Jesus talking about striving to enter through the narrow gate. The idea of striving is working towards or doing things. Um, you know, you have to work to enter through the narrow gate, um, is what striving entails. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, again, thinking about sins of omission or, or leaving things undone that we should do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, we'll start in 24, says, Make sure I'm in the right spot. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others I myself may become unqualified. And so... We see that the one who competes is tempered in all things. And again, I think that that's when you look at those other verses, that's talking about uh, doing the things that he needs to do, uh, being sure that you do the right things. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. It 
says in verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Look further down in verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And so this idea or concept of diligence is all throughout the New Testament. And diligence is how we overcome uh, not doing things God has told us to do. That's how we overcome omitting things is, is by being diligent and checking ourselves and be sure we're doing the things God wants us to do. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 9. Again, we have the same type encouragement or, uh, or direction there. It says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God's not unjust to forget your work and labor of love that you've shown towards his name and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so, again, an uh, exhortation there to be diligent, to not become sluggish. Um, those type things is how we overcome om sins of omission. Uh, same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved. Uh, they're all of these we're looking at are action verses. They're things that are, are exhorting us to be active and working and doing uh, the things that God tells us to be doing. Um, okay. So that that was one application that came to my mind. If, if if Moses was in trouble, if God was about to kill him because he had omitted circumcising uh, their son, uh, you know that I can see that and relate to that. And and again, that New Testament uh, exhortation is is throughout many of the writings of the apostles. Another thing that I thought of. Um, is it may be an instance uh, with with Moses? It may be an instance of just uh, drifting and kind of not thinking that was important. And again, we have plenty of New Testament instructions and Old Testament examples to be careful of drifting. It's same kind of goes along the same line of thinking of, of sins of omission, but uh, that has always been a problem for for mankind to to drift away from God. You see that. All through the Old Testament, you see that in the writings in the New Testament. I see that in my life. You know, it's a common problem that we all have to constantly ward against. Uh, God warned back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. God warned about that uh, with the Israelites. Deuteronomy. Chapter 4 and verse 9 it says, Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and grandchildren. Uh, and so, again, that's just a, you can read that and get the context there, but Moses. The context is Moses telling the children of Israel to be careful to obey God. Do the things that God says. Don't forget those things. Don't let them depart from you. Don't drift away from God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. As we go to the New Testament and, and think about uh, my life and, and our lives, Hebrews chapter 2. 
in verse 1, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So again, you know, the writer's exhortation here to give the more earnest heed lest we drift away. Uh, you know, that, that sounds fairly similar to what we looked at uh, in Deuteronomy. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 15. We'll start in uh, 14. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully lest any one fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Uh, again, so the same exhortation, looking diligently lest you fall. Uh, you know, check yourself. Be sure you're uh, doing all the things God expects you to be doing. Um Galatians chapter 1, it's the same type thing. Paul's warning them about turning away. He says they're turning away from him who called you. That, in my mind's the same as drifting. Uh, Revelation 2 and verse 4, talking, uh, I believe, to the church at Ephesus. It says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. So again, leaving those things, drifting away. That's what happens when you drift. If you think of a ship, is slowly getting away from the things uh, that it's supposed to be by. If, it, if, it's, if a ship is drifting, it's moving away from something. Um, and so if those first set of verses we were looking at were all action verses to do this, do that, uh, then these in my mind were more of beware or be careful type verses. Uh, you know, be careful to not let these things happen. And that has to be a constant effort. Uh, individually to be sure that we don't let those things happen in our own lives. <clears throat> you know, that that's really my lesson uh, in considering why God was about to kill Moses uh, and some possible applications or things we can think about as we read that and, and consider that. Uh, but we always offer God's invitation at the end of of our services for anyone who has not obeyed the gospel uh, who's not made that commitment that we talked about in cl in class uh, to be uh, God's follower to walk in his ways we offer that you know God has gone through great lengths his love for us has caused him to send his son to be a perfect sacrifice to give us forgiveness so that we can be blameless so that we can be holy so that we can be perfect in his sight uh, and and he's loved us enough to provide that opportunity and he wants us to take advantage of that opportunity and, and he's made promises to us that if we do, it will be good for us, he will save us, uh, the promise of eternal life and a wonderful uh, reward of heaven and being with him. And again, as we mentioned in class, you know, he's also promised that if, if you don't do that, uh, because he's a just God, He's going to punish the unrighteous. There is no forgiveness without His Son. And so we always encourage uh, or, or make the statement at the end of our lessons to invite anyone who has not done that to do so. Anyone who has done that but may have drifted away or may 
be drifting, you know, and there's something we could do to help. Uh, you know, we're here to help one another, to pray for one another, uh, and to be an encouragement for one another. And we certainly want to do that and, and offer that opportunity also to anyone. Uh, if you just let those needs be made known as we stand and sing.